guys, Jack here. Just a couple announcements today. We have a listener hand for the first time in a while, so I thought I should remind everybody that you can submit your hands at our website, Just Hands Poker, at the contact page. Uh, also, uh, today's listener hand was actually sent to us as an audio file. If you want to send us your hand in that format, you can send us a file uh, to the email jack at justhandspoker.com. To get more varied and immediate feedback on your hand, consider becoming a Just Hands member. Uh, all our memberships, including our basic tag membership, include access to our Slack forum. And on that forum, you can post hands and get feedback from Zach, myself, and all the other members of the Just Hands community. More information about that can be found at justhands.com membership. Congratulations to Thinking Poker on their 200th episode. Uh, Thinking Poker, for those of you who don't know, is a great podcast. Uh, worth checking out uh, all 200 of their episodes, particularly since we are doing a live event with them uh, this coming March 25th and 26th in the New York City area. More information about that at our page, justhandspoker.com slash thinkingpokernyc. All right, guys, thank you, and enjoy the episode. Hey, Jack. Hey, Zach. What's going on? Not much. Happy to be in your apartment in New York. It's a, it's a first. Yeah, welcome. Uh, Zach and I have relocated here for the time being myself a little bit more permanently, but yeah, it's nice to be here. We're going to have a Just Hands home game uh, in New York City in a little bit. Uh, email us if you're in the New York City area and you're interested, uh, although I'm not sure we have too many seats left, but hopefully we'll get a chance to do another and you know get, more, get an opportunity to meet more of our fans. So today, Jack, we're going to be re-recording that hand we did before, but that got lost in the technical difficulties. Uh... Shout out to Brian for sending in the audio hands. We really appreciate whenever anyone sends in a hand, whether it's a, you know, email and the Google form, uh, but especially when they kind of voice memo what they're thinking. Uh, I think it's a really nice format, and um, we'd appreciate getting more of these. Yeah, yeah, they're they're a lot of fun. So, uh, without further ado, let's get into it. Hey Zach, hey Jack, it's Brian from Parks. Got another hand for you. This hand uh, was in the same session um, that my last hand was in. It was Christmas Eve day at the beautiful Parks Casino in Northeast Philadelphia. Uh, also a 1-2 table. Um, this is a different table. Anyway, 1-2 game. It's nine-handed. Uh, this hand came up about two hours into uh, my time with, with these players. This villain was uh, a regular he was a strong player, a thinking player who played very straightforward. At least that was my read. He was uh, sitting to my immediate left. We've been talking a lot, and I could tell both from his play and how he talked about the game that he was experienced. I did not see him step out of line, really at all. You know, he may have made a semi-bluff or two, but, you know, he, he, he played straightforward. All right, so just to address this first villain a little bit, uh... This is the kind of thing that I hear a lot from people playing in, you know, one two one three games, is, you know, people. I think they're sort of equating people who play sort of a tag strategy and maybe don't like deviate a whole lot from that strategy or do anything that uh, is super bad, as people to, you know, really avoid in hands or people that you can't beat or maybe people that are like, you know, very good at poker. And I generally think, you know, one, you know, 
I'm not saying you'll never run into a good player at 1-2 or 1-3, but there's very rarely going to be a player that, like, you can't gain a significant edge over at those stakes. And I definitely wouldn't fear, like, getting in pots with players like that. I'm not sure that, uh, Brian, you fear that. But yeah, I think what the sound of it is just this villain is sort of a tag and probably not going to be bluffing enough, uh, probably going to be playing a somewhat tight range, although probably maybe not as tight as you would think, because uh, almost no one plays quite as tight as maybe they think they ought to. And when you're thinking about like how to adjust and exploit people that you're playing against, um, so Brian, you mentioned that he might have semi-bluffed once or twice. I think the context of that is really important. I think a lot of players, even like more tight, as you say, straightforward players, will like bluff uh, when they have like the nut flush draw and a heads up pot. But semi bluffing, let's say, with like a non nut draw in a multi way pot, that's like a very different type of context of a semi bluff. And I think uh, for your own analysis, as well as you know, when people write into the show, like as much information as you can give about what you've seen a player do because the context is really important and I think I would play very different against a player that semi-bluffed in like a heads-up pot with a nut flush draw versus like raised a bet in a call with a flush draw and a gut shot, uh, you know, in a multi-way pot with deep stacks. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Zach. I think like on a whole moving away from terms like tag, lag, straightforward, solid... Uh, and replacing those with a little bit more detail is just going to be really helpful uh, for your own play and your own analysis uh, in terms of creating a counter strategy uh, rather than just categorizing people into broad sort of strokes. I mean, that has a place and it can be useful, uh, you know, if, if you're giving like a really quick description over dinner to your friend. But uh, in terms of serious analysis, uh, it's important to you know have more specific evidence uh, to inform your decision making. So, in this hand, uh, I'm sitting in the hijack seat, and the villain is on the button to my immediate left. To give you a visual, I am in the 8 seat, and he's in the 9. There's one limper in middle position, and I look down at uh, pocket kings. Alright, so I parked my car. You shouldn't hear any more road noise. So, pocket kings, uh, I raised to $12, and... The villain calls, both blinds fold, and the initial limper also folds. So the pot's $27, we're heads up, and the flop comes jack of diamonds, nine of hearts, seven of hearts. So this is not a great flop for me, um, probably ahead, but uh, he could have flopped a good deal of equity. Of course, he could have missed as well. Um or maybe even flopped a monster. I really have no idea where I stand. Um, and since I don't have much invested here, just have one pair, I decide to check um, for pot control. Uh, also just want to see you know, what he does. I think I can get a lot of information uh, right here. Probably as much information by checking as I could get by betting. So, so I just check. So... So, Brian, I understand why you would be a little bit nervous on this flop. Uh, it definitely does connect with the caller's range slightly better than your own, but not that much better. Uh, but but definitely Kings is no longer one of the strongest possible hands. Uh, hands like 
jacks, nines, sevens, jack nine, uh, ten eight are all now better. They're definitely in your opponent's range. They're also in your range, uh, but they're a little bit more densely uh, in your opponent's range. However, that's not that many hands to fear, and there's still going to be a ton of targets, uh, you know, both pair plus draw hands, draws, uh, and worse made hands, that I think there's a lot of value to betting here. Uh, now, you make, a, you make a point that you're going to get more information by checking than betting uh, in this in this spot, and I think if that were true, then I would definitely you know be willing to get behind a check. However, I actually think that in this specific instance, we're actually going to get a lot more information from betting, uh, and the reason is that when we check here, we're sort of capping ourselves. Like we might check raise some very strong hands, uh, but we also might not, and I think our opponent's going to assume that. We're probably not check-raising that many strong hands on a trophy board. So we're giving a lot of information about, you know, the maximum strength of our range. And we're also allowing our opponent, um, when we check to them, to bet a range that's very well concealed. You know, they can likely bet a somewhat polarized range, but a, a range that probably includes value beginning at hands like, you know, ace-jack or even king-jack that are worse than our hand, but he's still betting for value. You know, as well as all the hands that are better, and a lot of semi-bluffs. And, you know, since we've seen this player semi-bluff, we can assume they're going to be semi-bluffing a lot. So when we check and we face a bet, we're really not going to know where we're at. Uh, we might, you know, be up against stronger hands. We're going to be up against value that is uh, worse than us, and we might be up against semi-bluffs. And we might be up against some pure air as well, uh, since checking on this flop... Uh, as the preflop raiser, I think, you know, looks very weak and, you know, a savvy opponent might decide to turn some very low equity hands into a bluff here. On the contrary, when we bet, our opponent is probably going to respond in a way that tells us a lot about uh, his holdings. You know, so if our opponent's holding a hand like jacks or nines, or jack nine especially, I think it's very, very unlikely that we're going to get flatted. Uh, so if we get, if we bet and get raised here, uh, we're going to be able to put ourselves pretty squarely on a bluff catcher, since I think getting raised by a hand like ace-jack is unlikely. Uh, so we'll know that kings is basically functioning as a bluff catcher and we'll be able to play it uh, you know, with that knowledge. Whereas if we bet and our opponent calls, I don't think that rules out draws necessarily, but I think we can have a very good... We can be very confident that our opponent is capped and that on like blanks especially we can be value betting pretty relentlessly. Uh, and so I think that information on this street is going to be really valuable in terms of playing the hand on future streets. Uh, obviously, if, you know, cards like 10, 8, king, queen, uh, diamond, diamonds, if those cards come on the turn, it's going to be hard for us to get that much more value with our hand anyway. But I think we can definitely get value here, and it's going to tell us a lot about how to play future streets based on how our opponent responds. Yeah, no, I definitely agree, Jack. I think uh, specifically um, a king is actually pretty good because then yeah, we, yeah, we that was a yeah, set of, set of kings and the the suit, the diamonds are the backdoor draw. It's, it's hearts. I just want to expand on one thing in terms of I think information wise, Jack made a very good point that betting will definitely give us more information than checking. But I don't necessarily want to rule checking out. Um, I think for exploitative reasons, we could pretty comfortably bet fold to most sizings here. 
because this opponent, as Brian described, is like a straightforward player who maybe he's semi-bluffed once or twice, but I'm based on Brian's description, I'm going to feel like maybe he semi-bluffed once or twice, but if he did, it was in, like, maybe attacking weakness, not necessarily, like, raising a preflop raiser, even in the cutoff on a board like this. So I think the opponent here is likely not going to be, like, raising a bet, um, like, raising his, raising bets with draws as much as he should be doing. Um, I'm also not confident that he's going to be betting, um, like, air or all of his draws when checked to. I think if we did feel like when we checked, uh, he's going to attack that weakness, I think actually checking and calling could be more profitable than betting. Uh, but I don't think we have enough evidence for that, so I think just kind of betting and getting value from draws and worse made hands and pair plus draws, I think it's going to be our, our best our best play here. Well, I definitely agree that betting is going to be our best play. Uh, I think we can make a pretty comfortable and exploited exploitative slash exploitable bet fold here. Uh, I think a lot of times the race size will be such that we'll have good enough uh, equity to draw to a blank uh, that it might be worth calling. Um, But I think, you know, we'll get to that if we get raised. Uh, We can think more about the combos. And, you know, if Brian were here, I would ask him, like, for example, do we think this opponent is three-betting jacks pre-flop? Mm-hmm. Uh, does this opponent ever have Jack Seven suited? Uh, does this opponent, you know, play ten eight offsuit? Uh, questions like that will give us a lot of information about, you know, how often we're up against a, a value hand versus you know the bluff combos that are possible here. But yeah, I think I think a bet fold is definitely not going to be a huge mistake ever here. Uh, whereas I think checking is probably a pretty big mistake. Um, I realize I'm giving. A lot of equity, or I shouldn't say that. I'm, I'm giving small equity hands a chance to improve here. But I just felt like it'd be better to check rather than push the slight edge that I would have against most of his hands that flop well here. Um, if the turn bricks, you know, then I can um, I can bet. I can even size a little larger, um, try, to try to take it down there or charge the draws, you know, that at that point, with only one more street to play. Um, just not fond of shoveling a lot of money into this pot with just one pair. So, um, I expect most times when I check here, my opponent will check behind me. Um, especially this opponent, since he's straightforward, I just don't expect him to bluff unless he has a ton of equity. Um, or unless he has, you know, a, a, a big made hand already. So, I just check, and I expect him to check back. So yeah, I, knowing what we know now, um, I think it's a very clear bet. If Brian doesn't expect his opponent to be betting with air, even betting with most draws, um, then I think we're missing a ton of value and information, but mainly value by not betting. Yeah, just one other point. Uh, yeah, I agree, Zach. I think like telling the story that this is an opponent that we should be checking to, and then also this opponent is going to be checking back a lot here don't necessarily make sense, and it just sounds like, you know, we're probably just missing a lot of value. Um, the other thing is I understand why, like, seeing a jack, a 9, and a 7, you know, as the preflop raiser are holding kings is kind of scary, but I think a big thing to realize is that, like, the fact that there aren't maybe 
quite as many two-pair combos as there might otherwise be. Uh, you know, a, a flop like Queen-Jack, uh, Queen-Jack-9 is going to be a lot worse because I think we're going to see every two-pair combo, where Jack-9-7, uh, I think we could easily see less than half of possible two-pair combos uh, based on you know, our opponent's likely preflop strategy. So I don't think this is... Also, you know, straight combos are the same thing. There's only one straight combo. Uh, and I, I think it's probable, at least in, you know, in its suited form. Uh, but I think that's another reason that this board is not maybe as scary as it looks uh, at, at first. Um, but instead, he, he basically bet the pot. He bet $25. And so now, um, I have to ask myself, what is this straightforward player have when he wants to get money into the pot right now is he have a made hand is he bluffing and if he's bluffing what kind of hands does he have when you think about what those hands might be that he's bluffing with um they do have a lot of equity against me so uh i just think it would be suicide for him to bluff here with air uh, he's not a dumb player and i just don't think he's dumb enough to do that so he certainly has some kind of a hand. Um, what hands make sense? Um, sets make sense. Two pair. Um, all the flush and straight draws. None of which I block. So there's so many hands here that he could have that either have me beat or have a ton of equity against me. Um, I don't have a lot invested in this pot. So I have this decision. And I'll, you guys can pause it here. I'll, I'm going to give you the the action afterwards. I think there's, you know, maybe a handful of opponents where, you know, when they bet here, we can comfortably fold uh, just because, you know, they're going to be betting such a strong range of, like, the strongest value hands and the absolute best bluffs or semi-bluffs where it's not worth continuing out of position. Uh, but I just really, really don't think this is going to be one of those times. Uh, like, I would expect our opponent to be betting probably any top pair hand, even a hand like Jack-10, which maybe is a hand that uh, I think fits better into a checking range. Uh, but I think a lot of players do bet. So I think we're going to see bets from, you know, Jack-10, Queen-Jack, King-Jack, Ace-Jack. Uh, we could see bets from... You know, all kinds of draws. Uh, and you, you mentioned you're not blocking any of the draws. And you mentioned that as a bad thing, or it sounded in the context like it was a bad thing. But, you know, actually, if this player is me betting a lot of draws here, uh, we should definitely be calling. Because, you know, on a lot of turn cards, our hand is going to gain a ton of equity against this player's range. Uh, and so, you know, our hand is, you know, for better or worse, very, very well disguised. Uh, so I think we're going to be able to play it you know, extremely profitably uh, against this player's bet. Even if, you know, this bet, you know, contains some value that's stronger. Uh, I, I just think we're talking, we're speaking about it a little bit too pessimistically. I think we're going to be like in a very good, in very good shape against this person's range. Uh, and so I'm not considering folding. Uh, I'm not considering raising. Uh, definitely not on the flop since I do think that there's enough strong hands. Uh, and we're folding out some of the worst value hands that we would like to call. So I don't want, I don't like check raising, but I definitely would not fold here. Okay, so I pretty quickly folded face up um, a pair of kings, just 
just throw them in. And the dealer looked at me and with wide eyes and said, you're folding. And I said, yeah. And everybody at the table, um, thought I was nuts and everybody consensus was you're crazy. And we all would have, uh, we all would have, uh, called at least or, or raised with, with my hand. But I really felt sure of my, of my read, uh, on this player. Um, it doesn't take that much for him to actually be ahead. And I, I thought I was right. So I, after the hand, he was, he was gracious enough to show his hand, um, which was the Jack 10 of hearts. Uh, that exact hand is actually ahead. Um, I, I knew, I knew it was like a coin flip, um, with a variety of hands that he has. Um, I also knew, I, I suspected that there were some hands that had me beat, um, you know, straight flush draw would be ahead, uh, sets of course. So I knew there was enough hands that, um, he would be actually ahead of me at this point. And even with the hands that he's not ahead of me with, he has so much equity that it's, it's nearly a coin flip. Um, and I'm out of position. So I just felt like that would be a really bad place, um, to put myself. And so, uh, yeah, that's why I folded. And just to prove to everybody, I shouldn't probably do this, <laughs> but just to prove to everybody at the table when he showed his Jack 10 hand, everybody said, Oh yeah, you still, you gotta, you gotta shove, you gotta, you know, um, I dialed it up on poker cruncher and turns out he's a, he's 57 and a half percent to my 42 and a half percent with his exact hand. Um, so actually was pretty proud of that check fold with pocket Kings on a Jack high board. Well, Brian, thank you for writing in the hand and being, you know, honest about what you're thinking and, you know, telling us all these other little details. I, I think, you know, my, when I'm speaking with students, I, I generally never recommend showing your hand. I think there's certain scenarios where showing your hand and tabling your hand uh, could make sense, but I think the vast majority of the time it doesn't and gives your informa- gives away free informa- information to your opponents. Uh, I think this was definitely not a good time to show your hand. Uh, I think if you're going to be making an, ex- an incredibly exploitative fold like this, you're going to want to not show it because, especially at the one two or one three level, like a really nice thing about that that blind level is that the vast majority of the time you don't have to worry about getting bluffed. And when you open fold like this, then I think your opponents, even if they don't adjust well to it, I think. is going to make your life a lot harder and they're going to almost inadvertently play a lot better against you. Yeah. I mean, like, for example, you, you say earlier that you think this player is not bad enough to bluff error in this spot, but I think, well, for one, I would think against your perceived checking range and how this player is likely to perceive you're going to play that checking range. It's, you know, a great spot to turn error into a bluff and, Given that you actually folded a hand as strong as kings, uh, you know this player should never ever be checking back. You know a, a low equity hand against you. Uh, I'll just point out a couple other things. Even even though we're not an equity favorite in this spot, we should still be calling this flop bet. Like let's imagine you guys played a game where you each turned up your hand. Uh, you know at this spot. And so you, he, he makes this pot size bet, and you both flip up your hands. Uh, 
you're always calling, and you shouldn't raise because since this player has an equity favorite, if you open up the bidding, then this player is just going to shove uh, and try and get the money in while they are an equity favorite. But we have enough equity right now, 42%, to call a pot size bet, which we, we really technically only need 33% equity as long as we're going to be able to realize it. And with a hand like kings on this board, we're definitely going to be able to efficiently realize our equity. Like any scare card is a hand that improves this specific hand into a hand that beats you. And so we wouldn't, we weren't going to put in any more money on a scare card anyways. And so if this player was going to continue to bluff and we would just call down if none of those cards hit, then we would have played the hand extremely profitably. Uh, folding here is actually a mistake since we're folding out uh, more equity than the odds that we're being given. Uh, so we, we should definitely not be folding here. Yeah, I mean, if if I knew that there was a good chance my opponent would fold the vast majority of their one pair hands and their overcard hands, you know, if, if I arrive here with 6-7 suited, I'm gonna, I'll bet pot, you know? And I think there's actually a lot of times when I'm up against maybe, like, one of the better players at the table uh, that I'm playing at, but that I'm going to be bluffing them a lot more because they've kind of learned from experience that um, it's not good to, you know, call down with one pair of hands on scary boards. And I think as a general rule, that is true, especially at the 1, 2, and 1, 3 level. But, um, yeah, it's just something to keep in mind. It doesn't sound like this player is really going to be exploiting you too hard. He had, you know, basically like the best bluff in a way and it's not re- i mean not really a bluff but he had the best uh non like made value hand that he can have in his range here so we still don't know what he would do if he let's say had king queen offsuit um but yeah i i would say it it would not be stupid for your opponent to bet air here and given the play style you're describing and f- for yourself brian if i was in his spot i would be betting air here. Obviously, this is, you know, then you adjust and then I adjust, but at least based on kind of what you've said thus far. I think the last point I want to make is that it's really important not to let ourselves be results-oriented. Like, we've already established that this should have been a call, even against this exact hand, Uh, but let's imagine your opponent, you know, flips up jacks, Uh, in which case, you know, you would have sort of inadvertently made a very good fold. Uh, I think even if that had been the case, we, sh- we still shouldn't, you know, take that as evidence that, you know, this was the correct fold because we can definitely construct a very realistic and somewhat conservative range of our opponent to be betting where we should still be calling. Uh, I think it's just as likely that you would have been shown a hand like Ace-Jack, uh, you know, a hand like Ace-Five of Hearts, uh, you know, all hands that we have very, very much enough equity to call, and we will be able to play very well going forward. Uh, it's not the easiest hand to play, Kings, uh, but I think, yeah, I just think that we, we absolutely should not be folding, and we shouldn't be taking the fact that a stronger hand got flipped up as evidence that our fold was correct. All right, Brian, thank you so much for sending in the hand, uh, and, and we look forward to hopefully maybe seeing you out at our event uh, in the New York City area. I know you're a parks guy. Uh, So hopefully you'll be able to make it out for that. Uh, And in the meantime, stay in touch.